In this episode, I continued the conversation with David Howey on each of the specific MBTI dichotomies and their possible leadership implications. Now, of those 16 preferences, if we were to look on the chart that the MBTI folks provide us, I think they've got percentages in each of those preferences that show what percent of the population identifies or reports this certain preference, this certain personality type. And one of the things you'll realize is I think the highest one is probably up close to 10%, approaching 10%, which would mean that if you identified with that particular preference, 90% of the population is is different than you. And I think the important things when it comes to MBTI, at least in the context of the intermediate course, are the three premises. That first one is to realize that most people are going to be different than me. They're going to have operational preferences that are different than my own. Number two is there isn't any requirement for me to change. I don't have to change unless I want to. And the third is how can I see value? How can I find value in other people's methods of operating? I ask that you kind of hold those those three thoughts in mind as we as David and I kind of continue down and describe each of the dichotomies and what they might look like. And listening to this, you might have a better idea of what your reported preference might be in the instrument. So we'll start with the first dichotomy. David, do you want to take it from here? Or you want to talk about like let's walk through the what four, they mean? Let's walk through the four dichotomies. Let's start okay. with, with the E and I dichotomy. Okay, well, the, fir- the first dichotomy is, is uh, uh, extroversion, a preference for extroversion or introversion. Mm-hmm. And typically, people who have a preference for extroversion uh, are very outwardly going. Uh, they're very engaging with other people. Uh, they're aware of other people around them. Mm-hmm. Um, they might uh, talk more than people who have a preference for for introversion. Um, the, and people who have uh, extroversion preference are, are very comfortable with people that they don't know or with, with larger crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, they like to engage with people, uh, shake hands, meet people, talk to them, uh, and things like that. Right, and then if I if I have a preference for introversion, I'm more inwardly focused. I'm probably a little bit quieter, although that that's not always the case. But these are folks who are more comfortable in not around a lot of people, and definitely not around people who they they don't know. They're they're not real comfortable with that. So at the end of a hard week, and it's now the weekend, how might a person with a preference for extroversion choose to recharge, choose to do with their weekend? What would be, generally speaking? In, in my opinion, it's generally spending time with other people okay. in, in some kind of a venue. Fight, fight your friends over, watch the game, go to a party, go to a barbecue. Right. And then the folks who have a preference for introversion, typically it will be some kind of an activity where they it, it's either where they are alone, where they're doing something by themselves, or if it's with other people, it's a very, uh, like, it's something that where there's not a lot of activity. and, and Or with sound. close people, spouse or children. Right, or something very quiet where uh, there's not a lot of stuff going on. What might this look like at the workplace? Well, it might look like the an, a person with an, a preference for extroversion coming in, uh, greeting everybody kind of aggressively perhaps, walking <laughs> around saying hello to everybody. And the person who has a, an introversion preference focused in on their work, not on the people around them, and 
and kind of focusing inward on the stuff that they have to do that day. And so that you said that your your first premise was that not everybody is going to be like me. And so if I have a preference for introversion, these people that are coming around saying hello to everybody, I might view that as an intrusion on my personal space. Mm-hmm. If I have a preference for extroversion, I might interpret the uh, the other folks as... Um, Cold and disconnected. Yeah, they're not friendly at all. Yeah. Or they, they only care about themselves. And so that kind of is an automatic conflict that could be built into the workplace. Right. You know, I mentioned in our earlier podcast that I'd just come back from a developmental assignment after having been gone for a year and you got y'all gave my desk away. So now I got the desk that's left in the quiet corner of the cube land. So after a few minutes when I get in the morning and I log in my computer, I kind of go make my rounds and the introverts have settled in and I'm going down each and every cubicle saying good morning, asking how their weekend was. Um, That's just what I need to do to recharge as a self-reported E. And the eyes, of course, we all teach this, so they're familiar with, with but that does describe the pattern of my behavior often seen at work work environment. And, the, and then ease can, people who have a preference for extroversion can have a conversation uh, over the cubicle wall mm-hmm. uh, and just talk to each other. And then it's, they're talking to everybody that's around them. Right. And uh, the, the folks who have a preference for introversion, you know, probably uh, they may not appreciate that because it's like I said, they, Maybe they view that as a invasion of their of their personal space, or they're tra- they're having to expend energy to keep this person entertained or to engage them in conversation. Whereas the person with the preference for E may feel like they're getting energy. Right. I think sometimes the eyes refer to the E's as energy leeches. Yeah. Okay. The next dichotomy is the S and the N, and that one is how we perceive the world. Mm-hmm. And so, a person with an S that stands for sensing. Okay. And the N is for intuition. The reason why it starts with an N instead of an I is because we already use the I right. in, for the preference of introversion. And so the I'll just tell you about the sensing ones. I'll let you talk about the intuition preference. Okay. The sensing preference is, is nuts and bolts. Right now, what's practical? What makes sense? How's this going to work? How are we actually going to put this into use? Um, what, what does the requirement actually say? Are we satisfying exactly what it's telling us to do? So that S and the sensing means it's a physical sensing of what I can touch, see with my own my own senses. Mm-hmm. If I can see it, if I can put my hands on it, then it's real to me. And if I can't, then uh, I, I may not may not believe it. It's kind of like uh, the motto of um, Missouri. Uh, which is the show me state. That's kind of the motto of the S preference is, okay, show me. Let's, let's see. I want to see it in action, being used, being done practically. That's, and that, that's kind of the, the S preference. Okay. Now, uh, for my N preference, first of all, I need a context for things. What does it mean in the big picture? I need to see where it fits before I can start focusing on the details. I need to know why it's relevant. Uh, instead of focusing on the trees, let me, let me see the forest first before focusing on the specific species of tree. I, I I'd say people with a preference for N are more likely to be able to appreciate fine art and understand the, the overall meaning. Okay. I, I can see why that was done. 
or to come up with uh, ideas on what if, you know, or, you know, what this reminds me of, of the time that, you know, this happened in history or the time that I experienced this constantly linking things from the here and now into, into possibilities of what could be, or the overall big picture. That's how I see it. I, that's, I, I see that happening as it plays out for me as a person with a strong preference for N and throughout my army career, oftentimes I was working with a lot of S's in the room and, you know, I've, been accused of being called the good idea fairy, or I do throw out an idea and I get, no, that's not found anywhere in doctrine. I'm like, I, I realize that, but it's, it's an idea. And, and here's what it reminds me of, or here's how I can see it being applied in the overall big picture. Just think with me, think big for a minute. And, uh, and so oftentimes people were frustrated, I think, working with me because they didn't feel that I was in, uh, focus on the details enough, you know, usually pan, panned out looking at the, the 10,000 foot view of things. And so in, in the workplace, that I think the, the conflict between the S preference and the N preference is, I think it's real simple, is that the, the N preferences, people who have the preference for, for intuition, the N, are imaginative, are out-of-the-box thinkers, and they can frustrate the people with the S preference because the S preference people are immediately thinking, that's not practical. That doesn't make any sense. Or like you said, that's that's never been done. How's that going to work? To me, there's there's that dichotomy. And then, and then the S people, when they lay out a plan, it will be the N people will start to say, what about this? What about that? What about that? What about this? And the S people will be frustrated because, okay, I've already figured out exactly what we need to do. Here it is. And then the N people come in with all these great ideas. That's kind of how I see the, the conflict. And I think it's apparent to see the value of both perspectives. Uh, so if you're if you're trying to develop a strategy, you're trying to come up with some of that creative, innovative, out of the box thinking, somebody with that preference might might be helpful in, in providing that perspective. There are absolutely times though where extreme attention to detail, checklists, SOPs are necessary and there just isn't room for imaginative thinking at, the, at that time and, and moment and or things where the stakes are really higher, risk tolerance is really low. There are certain people that would have a higher preference for honing in on those details. And and I think, I, and, and I, I hate to box people in, but I've always had this feeling that people who have a preference for in these, these out-of-the-box thinkers are, are really good for long-range planning, for longer-term things, whereas the folks who have the S preferences are good for either shorter or, or medium-range planning, if that makes sense. Yes, but again, that's generally speaking without assigning any labels. Any Because I, I, will, I will tell you, even as I was saying that, I thought, but what if we're stuck and something's due in two days, and I need a great idea, who am I going to go to? And it may be that I go to, it, it may be that the person with the preference for intuition is the one who says, here's exactly how, how here's the idea that we could use to get us through the next two days. So Right. For me, I love generating ideas. I can come up with ideas all day. Here's how the future will be if we can leverage this idea. But for me, if somebody says, okay, fine, James, I agree. Your idea is great. Go ahead and start ironing out the details now. Start writing an SOP or a regulation now. That, and that's where I back off. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that's not my forte. I, I'm the big idea guy. I, 
I hate details. Right. And but this project, this podcast thing you've been working on has probably pushed you out of that and, and caused you to grow a little bit with the kind of the planning that you've had to do and the figuring out exactly how to get this done. It'll be my guess. And my preferences though is to not have a script. I want it to be natural, flowing right. conversation where certain other people may say, no, I, there needs to be a script. Heaven forbid we we sound like we don't know what we're talking about or we sound ill-prepared. There, there's that fear I see from the S side versus you know, let it be what it be, what it is. That'll, that's what will make it interesting. All right, how about, how about the uh, uh, thinking versus feeling? Now, this is the one where I think recently there's some scrutiny from the scientific community that really those two aren't necessarily a, a true dichotomy, but that that's for the listeners. You can go explore that. But we look at those and how we make decisions. Is it thinking and feeling? Let's just, let's discuss the two. So you said that your reported preference is F, yeah. feeling. Okay, tell us a little bit from the, uh, the feeling perspective, what that means. Well, the feeling perspective is about being able to value. It's about largely about empathy. It's being able to appreciate and value other people's reactions, other people's quote-unquote feelings, to be able to realize how a certain situation might affect another person uh, and to be able to make decisions then that are in in the personal best interests of other people okay uh, so there's a there's a tendency to say things that make make other people comfortable mm-hmm. to be able to make others comfortable around you I heard that not too long ago is the the definition of uh, can't remember what it was a, a gentleman or something like that was the ability to make others around them comfortable. Okay. And so be able to compliment people, let's see the, see the good in people and people's intentions. That that that's how I see the the uh, feeling perspective. But more mercy um, before justice. Uh, uh, yes, it, that's a part of it also. Or values-based decision making. Okay, and I come out as a T, but I also value the feeling perspective. So there may be something to whether or not this is a true dichotomy or not, but I come out of the T, the problem first before people. Uh, and I think where it might manifest itself at work is how we perceive fairness. So let's say we work for a corporation. It's the financial crisis. We have to downsize. And let's say I'm the CEO and I've got a T preference. I may say, you know what? we got to downsize. Here's what I'm going to do so nobody has to get laid off. We're going to do a 10% cut across the board. I'm going to take a 10% cut as the CEO all the way down, and that's how we're going to keep everybody working, and that's fair. Everybody takes 10%. Now, from the feeler perspective, they may say that's not fair at all. I mean, the 10% cut for you, boss, means that your wife doesn't get a new Lexus for Christmas, but right. people on the factory floor now can't buy groceries. Right, and, and you may, from a feeling perspective, would want to go around and really try to uh, understand everybody's situation. To step into the situation. Right. Versus the thinker side looking, snapping outside the situation and, and trying to analyze it. Because if you if you just say from kind of a management orientation, well, we're just going to do 10% right across the board. What you may have is unintended consequences that you didn't foresee about certain people mm-hmm. that, that are going to be affected more so than others. And then, and that's kind of where I think the the people with a feeling preference would come in and say, "Time out. Before you do that, you need to look at how this is going to affect everybody in the entire organization." Right. 
and then take that take that into account before you just say it's just a flat 10%. Right. It's also, I've seen this happen in organizations where there's some edict that comes out that says, quote unquote, effective immediately, anyone who does this behavior or doesn't do this, get something turned in on time, is going to be reprimanded or something like that. Uh, and then you find out that uh, 60% of the organization is doing that. So then you're going to reprimand 60 you know, a gigantic number of people. And the, the people with a feeling preference would say, okay, you you can do that if that if that's your choice, but you got to take a look at how this is going to affect people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not just how it's going to affect them, but what their attitude toward the organization is going to be. Right. If you're going to have this, severe punishment down on people for what whatever that infraction but the, might have been. The person with the thinking preference may say, look, th- this is the law. These are the rules. You guys were all aware or should have been aware of the rules before said behavior had to be addressed. So it's really not my problem. You guys created the problem. You, you guys have created this for yourself. I'm just adhering to the rules. And that's why this is actually one of my favorite of, of the dichotomies. This is my favorite one. Because to me, this is the one where leaders get challenged the most. Because if, if I'm the thinking leader with a, th- a preference for thinking, yeah, I want to rely back on, on that, what you said. This is what the rules say. And sometimes I, leaders have to be that way. But then there's other times when a leader with a feeling preference says, all right, let's just, just have a timeout and let's look at the big picture. Let's right. consider the environment we're in, the situation, what this organization has been going through, on and on and on. And whoever it is that's making the decision has to be able to use the right preference mm-hmm. for, for the situation. And that's what makes makes leadership so difficult because there's a, there's a time for both. And what, what MBTI, I think, the, what it does for the individual leader is – I have a preference that I'm either going to be thinking and say that's what the rules are, or I'm going to be feeling and say, well, let's look at how this affects everybody. Right. And I can't always do the one that I am most drawn to. I can't, if I'm thinking, I may not always be able to do that because I'm going to damage morale. But if I'm feeling, I may not be able to do that because you got to, you got to put your foot down. You got to apply the standards at some point. This is the one I think where leaders have to look at the situation and realize this is my preference. And sometimes that preference isn't right for the situation. And right. I have to have to do a, um, what they call it last week in that a stretch, a stretch goal. Basically, um, I've got to push myself to do something that I'm not comfortable with. Right. And that feeling I in the classroom, I used to say this, that's like, when you're five years old getting ready to get on the roller coaster and and you don't want to do it. I do not want to come down on people because I don't like doing that. Or I, I don't want to have to listen to everybody's feelings about how this is affecting them. Right. And it's, you, you look at that situation as a leader and you're like, I don't want to walk into that. I don't want to have to do that. But effective leaders, this, this to me, this dichotomy of, of thinking versus feeling is the one that most stresses someone who is is leading 
in an organization. And I think as each and every one of us reflect back on our life and through our development, we can think, as we start to think about our ideal leaders from our past, I think each one of us can think of a time where we made a mistake, where somebody granted us some mercy and we were better off for it. You know, they knew they, we knew they, they could have hammered me with the rules and I'm actually better off for having been granted a little bit of mercy and, and correcting myself and chalking up to a learning experience. And the organization was better off uh, for it as well. And, and conversely, I, I'll also add this. There's sometimes in my past when somebody just put the hammer down on me and that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. Even though I was, I was hoping for mercy, I didn't get it. And that caused me to grow right. because they, they held me to a, to a hard standard and didn't back off. And I, I know times when that's happened to me and the, the person that was doing it had very, I, di- I, didn't, I didn't have a positive feeling toward the person, but I know later after the fact, I could see now how that made me a better uh, leader. Right. Well, going into the last dichotomy, the J and the P dichotomy, judging and perceiving, we are both self-reported P's. All right. Uh, so we're going to have to um, talk third person about the, the people with the J preference. Okay. All right. Let's talk about those two. But let's talk about this dichotomy. Okay. This, this dichotomy is, is about the, the theory says it's your orientation to the, to the external world. And essentially, when I look at it, it's about whether you prefer to be in a structured or planned environment or whether you are okay, or you prefer to be in unstructured or more of a flexible environment. Is that, do you agree with that? Yeah, the J's tend to see the world as a place that needs to be organized. And the P's tend to think of the world as a place to be experienced. Right. I want to keep my flexibility and my options open so I don't miss an experience. Whereas those J's are like, nope. I, everything needs to be planned. I keep uh, meticulous schedules and calendars. Back in the days, the day planners. People people with a J who go on vacation tend to have long itineraries. Uh, they're going to be knowing what they're going to be doing at every hour during their vacation with the P's. Just keep me on a plane ticket. Oh, if I forgot to pack something, I'll buy it when I'm there. And that can make people with a J very uncomfortable with the J preference. And for the P's, when they're traveling with a J, it can make them feel like a killjoy. And so the, and the dichotomy in the work or the, the conflict in the workplace to me is the Jays want to have a, a schedule, a sequence planned out right? and they want the P's to commit to it and the P's don't really want to commit to it. They want to keep it flexible. J preference boss might assign you a task and then ask you like if it's due in a month, but then ask you every three or four days about it. With the pro- I need a progress report. Where are right. you? And the person with P preference is like, I got a whole month. Uh, I'm, I, how can I be worried about something that's due next month when I'm still finishing up all the stuff that's due tomorrow morning? People with a P preference often have had the experience of getting superhuman strengths <laughs> and abilities at the, at the 11th hour against a deadline. And, and, and it's how people with P preference tend to operate against deadlines. But boy, can, can you make it all come together? But, you know, it's a little whimsical and you know, a little this, a little that. You know, I still got time. And it can come across as procrastinating to, to some people. In the end, I'd say it, both dichotomies can get the work done. It's, In fact, I find that leaving my options open when it comes to tasks like that, because things are likely to change. So apart, let's say let's say the boss gives me a task and it's due in a month. If I have a preference for Jay, I'm likely to get on it right away and get it in my outbox and 
and wipe my hands and say done and have that feeling of relief. But then what's likely to happen? You, you, you've finished it three weeks early and a change comes, a frago comes, and now you got to redo it or it's no longer relevant. Whereas I can sit back and start thinking about it, gathering bits and notes and the boss hits me up with a change. I'm very resilient to change. Okay, great. Cause I haven't invested a whole lot in it yet. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll chalk it up. And so I tend to come across as more resilient and less stressed out with changes, but I also don't come across as being as organized or with my time and calendar, I'm much more open to being flexible. And, 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 and it is, uh, the, that perceiving preference is I view it as, as about being flexible, being able to be told at the very last minute, I need this or that tomorrow. And that, and you're right. It's it's sometimes it's it's that the P preference doesn't get to it until then, or sometimes, like when you get it at that last minute, that rush of excitement is is you get all this energy and you put out an awesome product in the time that it takes other people like a month or two months to do. I I certainly find that right. So if it weren't for the last minute, uh, a lot of things would never get done. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, we don't have any J's in here to defend themselves. Well, Jay, we need the J's because they do. They can keep us organized. I think J's tend to make great project managers to keep things on schedule on track, especially when the stakes are high with money or with, with lives. Right. Uh, where sometimes that, that type of structure is just needed. But I think sometimes you need the P's to to be able to quickly respond to to changes on the fly or to, okay, here's how I see things now. I'm going to adapt, change, move out. And I think it, for, for all... All eight of these preferences, uh, just as we've been talking, I thought, I've been thinking to myself, you know, a a healthy workplace, uh, an effective team of people has all these things and they're, they're used, they're tools that are used at the right time and people are comfortable being themselves, being the preference that they are. And, And so... A good team has all of these characteristics, and the people who who have the preferences feel safe and feel comfortable using their own preferences. They're not there's not like some implication that you have to be like so and so, or you have to be like your boss, right? Or or we um, only want people who think like us, or right? People who are diligent, working in quiet solitude in the basement. Because all these people all need each other. They, I need, I need, for my preferences, I need people around me who have the opposite preference to pull me in different directions. And when you're a leader, you're act. If you're a supervisor and you're the head of an organization, uh, you have to have people around you that that provide balance to to your preferences. And we have to respect each other and respect skills and abilities that other people bring. The other thing. You kind of talked about it a little bit, but nowhere in this theory does it say that you you have to change or that you should change or there's anything wrong with your preference. Mm-hmm. Each preference is, has the same value uh, in an organization. It's just how, how the people in the organization, the degree to which uh, they respect the differences in other people. Right. Well, I think that's one of the criticisms that sometimes comes from the scientific community on MBTI is that it's all positive or certainly not everything about all humans is positive. Some people may say, well, why don't you use the five factor theory 
you know, in your classrooms. That's what the scientific community uses. Well, then we'd have to describe or help people out with the good and the bad. And I don't think this is the type of environment where we want to focus on how neurotic we may be or personality disorders. It's, it's let's look at the positives and, and work with those. Well, and, and I don't, I don't, I, I can look at the, the, the descriptors of the behaviors for each dichotomy and I don't, I don't have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to see how the, the terms that describe one of the dichotomies, you could see that, that there's, there's a, a counter to that, that mm-hmm. we would view, we might view as negative. It is generally described in, in positive terms, but you can see how each one of the dichotomies to me has both strengths and uh, liabilities. Right. Well, David, um, I appreciate you joining me on this episode. All right. And for the record, your, your, I forgot to ask you your preferences. I think they are E N T P. Is that, that's correct. That's correct. Okay. All right. And so you and I share the E and the P. Right. um, And then the, the N T is where, or the S and the N and the T and the F is where we uh, depart. Well, yeah. And that S and the N, I think is where we see it come up most often in the workplace. Or what about that time that we went camping? Do you remember that, David? I do remember that. Yes, and tell me what happened. You see, it was in the middle of the night, and you leaned over and elbowed me. Yeah, I, I put my elbow right into your ribs, and I said, hey, wake up. What do you see? And as I wiped the sleep from my eyes, as you can see, I ran Ryan's belt. In fact, I uh, just read an article from NASA that said that there's a, a new planet out there that could possibly be terrestrial-like and, and host alien life. And I can't help but wonder, you know, as I look out there, could there be alien life looking back at me, wondering if I exist? And, and as you're as you're uh, droning on and on about that, I said to you, uh, no, somebody has stolen our tent. Mm. And therein lies the difference in the preference between the S and N. And with that, uh, thank you, David. And All right. All right. Thank you. In the next episode of the AMSE podcast, I sit down with John Kotzman, another instructor from the Intermediate Course, and discuss the topic of critical thinking. 22 in Chapter 5 tells us critical thinking is a thought process that aims to find facts, to think through issues, and solve problems. You know, critical thinking examines a problem in depth with multiple points of view. That's next time on the AMSE podcast. And we welcome your feedback. Please write us at usarmy.lovenworth.tradoc.mbx.amsc-podcast at mail.mail, or you can just write us at amscpodcast at gmail.com.